Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and punishes every son he receives. Let's pray over the word as we receive today. Father, we don't stop our worship when the music quits playing. We continue to worship over your word today. We thank you for it. We thank you that you open our eyes to the wonders of it. God, I'm so thankful you've never left me standing in your space right here without a word to speak and a zeal to speak it with. Holy Spirit, I pray that you translate to each heart as we have need today. God, let your grace fill in the gaps of my weakness. And I thank you that you make us strong as we learn more about you and your great love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So we're not gathering right now for July on Wednesday nights, but when we do, you know, we have a little bit of singing and we have Bible study. But one thing we do to start off Bible study is we have an icebreaker question, right? An icebreaker question, just kind of loosen everybody up, get people talking because that's the fun part when we get over into the scripture is the conversation back and forth about what we're reading and about what we're in. And on this subject today, I was reminded of an icebreaker question that we had. Um, It may have been a couple years ago now. And I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard it and I thought, well, this might be a good one for us to talk about and discuss for a few minutes. Sometimes they're light. Like, you know, if you had to eat just mayonnaise or mustard for the rest of your life, which one would you pick? Right. Some of them are just simple and silly like that. This one was a little bit more of a thinker because it was what would a person be like if they never suffered? What would a person be like if they never suffered? And all I did was ask the question and then watch everybody's brain start turning. Right. Nobody answered right off. They, they thought on it for a little bit. And it was it was interesting to see the thought process as I started to hear the answers. What would a person be like if they never suffered? And every answer except one was negative. They would be things negative, negative, negative. The only one that was positive was just quasi positive or maybe even neutral. I think it might have been something along the lines of peaceful. If a person never suffered, then they would be peaceful. And I thought that was an interesting question when we're talking about suffering. What is suffering? Not not torture, but but suffering is uh, involves pain or distress, hardship. Right. And in the biblical uh, use of suffering, it's to be in a bad plight, to be in a bad plight uh, or or a dangerous, difficult or unfortunate situation and to be affected 
by it. That, that's what it means uh, to suffer. And I thought it was interesting that every answer except the one that was just kind of neutral or quasi positive was negative about what would a person be like if they never suffered. And yet so much of our life seems to revolve around avoiding or removing suffering at all costs, right? We said if a person never suffered, they would be something I don't want to be. I don't want to suffer. And, and this passage today stands out and, and speaks on this topic as we get into it. Now, last week, remember 12, 1 and 2 of Hebrews talks about this race that we're in, this big race that we're in, this, this run of faith. It used that analogy. It said you need to lay off the weights that would hinder you and set aside the sins that would so easily ensnare you and run with endurance the race that is set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So run this race, set things aside uh, that need to be set aside and run the race that is set before you, keeping your eyes on Jesus. So today is a continuation of that. In verse three, it says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. Jesus who endured such hostility. To, to endure uh, here means to abide, not flee, to endure bravely and calmly. That's the tone of that word that it uses to describe him. He endured such hostility or contradiction, rebellion, opposition from sinners against himself. It said, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners so that... This is the important part of verse three. You don't grow weary and give up or so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. It shows me that there are things that you can consider that will make you weary. And there are things that you can consider that will keep you from weariness or actually bring you strength. You see that? It said, consider him, and it talks about him, so that you won't grow weary and give up, lose heart. The more you think about what you're enduring, the situation, the circumstances, the more you think about those, the more weary you're going to become, right? We know that. We can see that in our own life. But the more you think about and consider him who endured for you, hostility, we are strengthened. You see how that works. If you write in your Bible, this would be a good thing to, to circle, underline, or highlight, to consider him so that you won't grow weary and give up. Consider him so that you won't grow weary and give up. Won't we quit when we're weary? We're not likely to quit if before we first get Weary. Now, some of that is physical, right? We know that we can, if we don't get enough sleep, we don't eat right, we're going to be tired, we're going to be frustrated, and we're going to be likely to just go, I don't want to do anything. Some of it can be physical, but so much of what this is talking about is in our head and in our heart. When we're growing weary and want to give up. 
And we've had that. Some of it's physical. Some of it, even when we're getting the physical stuff right, we're sleeping well, we're eating like we're supposed to, we can still find our hearts and our minds wearied by the things of this life and want to give up. Notice it says so that you won't grow weary and give up. What does that tell me is that this weariness comes on progressively, one step at a time, a little bit at a time. This weariness starts to take hold in my heart and in my mind, little by little. The old phrase death by a thousand pinpricks or death by a thousand cuts. Weariness grows in me. Well, strength must do the same thing. We read about in Scripture, you can grow stronger. It functions the same way. It's progressive. It's a process. It's little by little, one or the other, depending on what it is that we're considering. See, this life of faith can't be something that I, it can't be something that I have just considered. Well, I've considered that. I considered that when I was little and I considered it and now it's done, right? This life of faith can't be something that's a past tense verb. I, 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 well, I considered it. It has to be something that walks with me even into the present. This life of faith must be something that I consider here, presently, actively. Our eyes and our mind being on him, considering him will defend us against this weariness that would lead us into giving up. If our eyes and our minds are on our suffering, our situations, our circumstances, and we're not considering him, it will result in weariness and we will want to quit. It's just what it is. I love it when scripture is clear and plain. Let's see what it says next. Verse four. In struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. He's saying if this was a resume contest, he's winning. He resisted sin or obeyed the father even to death, even to death on the cross. He's saying when you are resisting sin, when you're laying these things aside and you think you've done this great thing or this very difficult thing, you've not yet resisted to shedding your own blood. It's to where you see he endured more than you've ever endured for you and for me. It's a, an admonishment to not get so wrapped up because we can, right? Woe is me. This is the worst. This is the worst it's ever been. And it may be awful. What you're dealing with may be awful. But he says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners because in resisting sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Remember Jesus. Remember what he did. And it tells us to remember something else. It says, remember Jesus, consider him. And then this next part is equally important. Verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take lightly the Lord's discipline or lose heart when you are reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. It's not just about considering or remembering 
Jesus. There's atheists that consider Jesus. There's unbelievers that consider Jesus. There's philosophers that remember and think on Jesus. That is not going to do it by itself. It's not going to keep you from growing weary and wanting to give up. Considering him is just saying he's Jesus. What he's telling us is you don't just consider him as Jesus. He's my Jesus. He's my Jesus, not because he belongs to me, but because I belong to him. Amen. And I remember and meditate on him and who he is, but I can't forget. He said, you've forgotten. Don't forget who you are in him or that he addresses you as sons. He addresses you as sons, not a friend, not a charity case. He addresses you as sons, not an acquaintance, not an employee. He addresses you as a son. Now, this isn't excluding the ladies. This was a term that could be used for all the seed underneath a patriarch. So uh, the children of Israel are the sons of Israel, the sons of Abraham. You're included, but when you're included under that term, son, you're also included in the inheritance. He addresses us as sons. And the writer of Hebrews says there's two things and it's really important so that you don't give up is that you consider Jesus and that you remember that he addresses you as sons. Don't forget that he addresses you as sons. And this is one of the reasons why we gather on days like when it's pouring down rain outside that we come together as the body of Christ to remind one another who he is and who we are in him. Because when the circumstances are swirling around us, we can easily forget. They forgot. He was reminding them. And if we forget, then what happens? We can grow weary and we can give up or lose heart. And he quotes here, In five and six, uh, Proverbs three and verse 11 and 12. And he says, my son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. If you don't like that word punish in one translation, it says scourges. So I wouldn't question it too much. (laughs) I'd stick with punishment. But we get this picture of a father with his kids. And not just a father, but God the Father. I thought this passage might be where we would land on Father's Day. I was like, well, that'd be really good, right? As a father and his kids, this would be really good for Father's Day. Didn't end up that way. And as I was meditating on it this week, I thought, well, that would have been a really bad idea. To compare us as fathers to him as the father. Because compared to him as the father, I am a joke. My best I could ever do, joke, compared to... Him. It wouldn't have been fair to us because we can't do what he can do. We can't be as good as he can be. We can't touch how good he is. But we have this example of a father and his children. And it says he addresses us as his children. And as a father to his children, he disciplines us, re- reproves the ones he loves and punishes this every son that he receives. Why does he do this? Why? This goes back to our question at the beginning. 
What would a person be like if they never suffered? Thinking about it as a parent and their children, what would a kid be like who always and only got their own way? Who always and only got to do everything they wanted to do when they wanted to do it? What would that child be like? Not one you would want living at your house. Not one that you would want living with you. They would be terrible. Terrible. He disciplines all those. He calls his sons and he disciplines his sons. Look at this verse seven. I really love it when you this passage right here is one of those that just stands out as far as helping me understand my relationship with him, helping me understand my life in him. Verse seven and eight endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons for what son is there that a father does not discipline. But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So you see that. So what we said, why, if you're not being disciplined by your father, by the father, then you, you're as good as illegitimate or what? Not considered a son, a son without discipline would, wouldn't even be considered a son would be illegitimate. Why? Because there's no love, no connection and no concern. If there was, there would be discipline. There would be discipline. Verse nine. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us who our earthly fathers for for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his Holiness. He's comparing it again to a natural relationship between a father and a child saying they disciplined us and we respected them for it. They disciplined us to teach us and all they were was just human. All they were was just doing their best good as it seemed to them, but they did it for our benefit. So they did it for our benefit. So chasing this example of a father and his kids What's a father's goal for their children? It's not just that they survive, right? Not that just you keep them alive. Your your goal, your, your heart's desire is that they be the best them that they can be, right? That they reach the highest level in their life that they can reach, that they are the best version of themselves that they can be. When we have a baby dedication, this is one of the things that we say is, what do we want for this baby? What do we want for this child? What what is our desire for them? Because at our core, we're going to be committed to what it is that we desire. We're going to be committed to what we desire. So what do we do? We discipline them. We discipline them. And then that when we're doing that, it goes against their desires. It goes against their will. And that's why they need it. That's why they need it. Now, there's going to be some pushback, right? They're not going to like discipline. There's going to be some high dislike. That's usually when you get to, I hate you. Right. You're going to hear that. 
because it's going to push back against their will. It's going to be, listen, to be disciplined even by a good parent is painful. We cannot, we've all been there, right? To be disciplined by a good parent. I'm not just talking about whippings. We, you know, we need whippings. If you don't whip, that's fine. But, but that can be a point of instruction. But, but just to have your will restrained is painful. Do you know how many kids I've seen catch a whipping for running out into that parking lot? I mean, they, they wanted to run out there. It was their heart's desire to run out of that parking lot. And they did it with fervor and energy, just took off out of that parking lot and they caught a whipping for it. Why? Because that has got to be restrained. That has got to be taught against. That has got to be pushed back. You cannot do this or you do this one too many times and you will die. This is a safety issue, right? It had to happen. But again, they, and they just bawled. They, even if they didn't get a spanking, they, they, they cried because they couldn't run out in that parking lot. They cried because they couldn't chase a car. You see how we are? It was painful for them, but it was what seemed good to us. And again, whether you, how, how you discipline However you discipline, what you're doing is you are restraining their desires and that by itself is painful. We can acknowledge that, right? Look at verse 11. Scripture is going to agree with us. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. At the time, painful. I want to run out in that parking lot. Why? I want to do what I want to do. Why? Because I want to do it. It's just what I want to do. And when you restrain me or you discipline me, it is painful for me. It says it's not enjoyable at the time, but painful later on. However... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Again, why do we discipline them when they run out into the parking lot? Because that has got to be restrained. You cannot do this. And it has to be retrained. Restrain what needs to be restrained and train what needs to be done. Something needs to be learned. Something needs to be righted. It won't be enjoyable, but it will result per verse 11 to greater joy down the road of their life. Why? You're not going to live long if you just keep running out in the road. It's not going to go well for you. And I know that's a simple example, but I think it points out how discipline in the moment is not enjoyable, but it's painful. However, later on down the line, It's going to bear fruit of righteousness and peace in their life, in our life. The goal of a parent isn't to take something from your children. That's not the goal of a parent is to take something, but to give them something better. And to give them something better, you have to take the lesser things away from them. And that's going to be painful. You take the lesser away, but it's not because I want to take something away. It's knowing that taking the lesser away, then I can give you the better and the greater. 
And this is going to be painful. When I take the lesser away, it's going to bring about a small amount of pain, whether it's a spanking, whether it's just not getting to do what you want to do, not being where you want to be when you want to be there. There's going to be a small amount of pain. But what am I doing? I'm helping you avoid devastation down the road. I will inflict small pain on you now so that you won't be devastated and destroyed down the road. That's what good and right discipline is. And how can we do that? Because we know more than they do. We know you shouldn't run out into parking lots because we know what happens. We know that you shouldn't go play in the road because we know what would happen. How much more does he know than we know? How much more does he know? He has called us sons. How much more does the one who has called us his children, how much more does he know than we know? What is his goal? His goal is not to just give us everything that we want, right? It's not just to give us everything that we want or let us do what we want. It's to give us what we need so that we can grow into the best version of ourselves in him and in Christ Jesus. And when he does it, when he disciplines us, he addresses us as sons. He's not just punishing us or or, or being ruthless with us like a tyrant king who doesn't care anything about us. Just like with us and our children, even in our imperfect ways, Jesus said, which one of you, if his kid asked for an egg, would give him a, a, a rock or give him a snake if he asked for a fish? He said, you being evil know how to do good things for your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. When he addresses us as sons, it comes with love and care and compassion. His goal isn't to take something from us, but to give us something greater, to give us something better. Remember verse 11, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The goal isn't to take something from us, but to get something to us. And he tells us, as he tells us to consider Christ and what he endured, and to not forget he addresses us as sons, he says, endure suffering as discipline. Now, how did Christ endure? Remember what, he, what it said? To bravely and calmly abide regardless of difficulty or what you would label misfortune. Bravely and calmly endure suffering, considering that he has addressed you as sons, that he has your absolute best in mind. And listen, what you're going through, what you're, what you've gone through isn't easy. It's, it, some of the things have been awful. Some of the things have been unfathomable. What you need to know is it's not meaningless. It's not meaningless because even with all of that, the father is at work in the mess bringing about in us our good and our best. Is it what we wanted? No. No. And it's okay to acknowledge that. 
And it's okay, just like that kid that catches a whipping for running out in the parking lot. It's okay to even weep over what you thought you wanted and you didn't get. It's okay to cry over the difficulty that you wanted to avoid and yet had to walk through anyway. It's okay to weep over that, but then you wash your face and you get back up and you consider Jesus who endured hostility from sinners against himself so that you don't grow weary and give up and then you never forget that he addresses you as sons with you. And he's able to take the absolute worst the absolute worst and bring about something better than you could have ever imagined. Again, verse 11. We're to endure suffering as discipline and no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He is at work in the mess. Even when what we're going through seems like this is the most chaotic thing I've ever seen in my life. Consider Jesus and remember that he's called you sons and know that he is able to work in this. He is able to make all things. It didn't say he's able to make all things good. It said he's able to make all things work together to bring about good. He's able to make all things work together to bring about good. What would a person be like who never suffered? What would a person be like who never dealt with difficulty? What would a person be like who never dealt with adversity? It's not what we would want to be. The you who went through the things that you've gone through are going to be that same person in, in, in five steps, 10 steps, however many steps down the road is going to be able to endure and overcome what's down there that you would have never been able to overcome if you hadn't walked through this first. If you hadn't been through this, if you haven't dealt with this, why? Because he's able to take it and shape you so that you, you, you can win not just today, but through each and every challenge and adversity and suffering that you face all the way to the end. Now here's the the gospel beauty in this text. Something that I noticed. You know, it says that he addresses us as sons, but in verse three, it says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. I also fit into that category. Now, when we read that, we can think, well, that was those other folks. That was everybody else. No, endured hostility from sinners. That word hostility, again, means also rebellion. Rebellion from sinners. I was in that number. I was among that group. But because of verse 12, 1 and 2, that I keep my eyes on him for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. I can move from that category in verse 3, the sinners who were hostile towards him to the ones in verse 5 that he addresses as sons. That's the amazing grace of all of it. 
And it points out to us and proves to us so much more his intent and his purpose. When I see the grace behind that, that he moved me from a hostile sinner to a son. Not again, not a foster child. He's not bringing me in, seeing if it'll work and maybe he'll adopt me later. He brought me in as a son. And when I understand the grace behind that, then I don't ever doubt his motives when I am being disciplined, when I'm being trained, when I am enduring and wanting to grow weary and give up, I can think on him who did that for me and I grow stronger. Amen. Consider Jesus who endures such hostility from sinners and never forget the exhortation that addresses you as sons. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. The identity as a son, and again, son, I'm using that, but but it encompasses all of us, right? Because it includes inheritance, it encompasses all of us. The identity of son has to come from the father. The identity of son has to come from the father. We want it, we look for it, but it can only come from him, Okay? Great example. I was, didn't even have this in my notes, but I was driving to church this morning thinking on this. And I thought about uh, Brandon. Danny's son, Brandon Lyons, gave his testimony Monday night at Overcomers. And one thing that he talked about is early in his life, his mother told him that another man was his father. The man she was with at the time said, that's your, that's your father. And he said, I'd hear that and I'd listen to her and it just never seemed to be true. Regardless of how many times she said it, I just kept thinking, this is not my father. This man is not my father. And he ended up taking it to his mother and going, this is not, I, I, I don't know, but this is not my father. And she's like, who told you that? You know, where did you hear that? He's like, I just... I just know. And she introduced it. He, he got introduced to his actual father. But see, what could have happened? He shows up and goes, hey, Danny, I'm your son. I am. Biologically, I'm your son. Guess what? Until Danny receives him as his son, he might as well not to be. Right? The son can show up and go, receive me, accept me, let me in. I'm your son. Until the father says, and which Danny did as a good uh, Christian man said, yeah, come on in here. I, I, you, are, you are my son. He talked about getting to go to school with his siblings, just right along in with the rest of them and becoming part of the family. But the identity had to come from dad down to the son. We don't show up and tell dad who we are. We come into him and he tells us who we are. Because we can make a claim and guess what? It won't won't stand. You might be able to do something legally that forces somebody to pay something, but that's not what we're after. That's not what we want. What do we want? We want the relationship. That's what Brandon wanted was the relationship of a son to his father. And when he received that identity of son from his dad, He felt what he had been missing that whole time. He felt what he had been missing that whole time. And that was us, right? We started out without him and and we had another father. Mm -hmm. Jesus called him the devil. He said, you're sons of your father, the devil. But we knew that wasn't right. We knew this doesn't fit. We know it just isn't supposed to be that something is wrong. And then we found out 
that we had a different dad. And we went to him and even though we had been hostile sinners through what Christ did on the cross, he brought us in as sons and he gave us that identity. I didn't get it. I didn't fight for it to get it. That means I don't have to fight to keep it. Who did it come from? It came from him. He is the one who gave me my identity as a son. And in that grace, I can trust his motives in everything else. When I don't understand, when I'm getting a whipping for running out into the parking lot, I can understand you know better than I do. You know so much more than I do. He's not there to give you everything that you want and let you do everything you want to do. If you only did what you wanted to do, your life would be awful. I don't know about that. I do because you wouldn't even go to work tomorrow. It wouldn't be too long where you'd be broke, right? Well, I didn't want to go to work, so I didn't go. I didn't want to be nice to anybody, so I wasn't nice to anybody. I didn't want, if you only did what you wanted to do, he's teaching us and training us, restraining our bends towards iniquity that we talked about last week and training us in righteousness in Christ Jesus. And it's all funded and based on his grace towards us that he calls us sons. Amen. Verse 12 and 13, then I'm done. Therefore, because of everything he just said, because of everything we just said, therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. He said, I know you're tired. Strengthen yourself, your hands, your knees so you can stand firm and strong, make straight paths for your feet. Watch this. So that is what is lame won't be dislocated, but healed. If you walk in the way that seems right to you, that which is lame is going to become dislocated. If you walk in him by faith, trusting him, even when it feels like you're being disciplined to the point that you think you may die. Look what it says comes instead. Healing. Healing comes instead. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have addressed us as a son. You have called us your children. And we see at the cross of Christ that you meant business. It wasn't something that you just said. It wasn't... um, It wasn't a weak comment by you because you funded it with the blood of Jesus Christ. He endured hostility from sinners and we've not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding our own blood, but he did that for us. And we don't ever want to forget the exhortation that you address us as sons. We who were hostile sinners, you address us as sons. If you still feel any of that hostility in your heart towards him, he is ready to forgive you soon as you repent of it. Soon as you say, I don't want to think that way anymore. You've shown me the truth. I want to be a son through Christ Jesus. It is available to us by his great grace. And Father, in that, we've gone through a lot of things. We've gone through a lot of things that we thought were unnecessary. Some of it was because of our own sinful and foolish decisions. But even those things, you were able to teach us and train us that there's a good and a right way to walk in a way that we ought not to walk. 
And Lord, there's other things that we just found ourselves in it where we felt like we're doing everything right and yet difficulty and trial and tribulation. And I thank you for the encouragement here in Hebrews that not only do you address us as sons, but we can endure any suffering as as it's disciplined from you. Not that you're punishing us, but we can endure any suffering knowing that you are right there with us. Our dad is there with us. You've given us that identity as your child and you are growing us through it. We can consider Jesus who endured so much we can endure in his likeness because of all that you've made available. And we know that it's that it's painful in the moment. Oh, gosh, it's not enjoyable. Not at all. But it, it brings forth the fruit of righteousness and peace down the line, which is so much greater. Lord, thank you for taking the lesser away from us so that you can give us the greater. And I thank you that we understand more and more your great grace towards us, our identity as your children that you have assigned to us. And Lord, that you are always with us, even in the difficulty. Lord, there's things in our life right now that we'd have rather not went through, that we'd have rather not had going on. But Lord, we know that you are able to be at work even in the mess, whether it was our mess, something we caused, something somebody else caused that we had to endure just because we were collateral damage. You are able to be at work even in the messiest mess and in the biggest problem to still bring about good and right peace for your children. Oh, we thank you for it. We thank you for it. Lord, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with one another. I thank you that you protect us and keep us safe. Lord, those that are out from us working, I thank you that they do so with strength in their heart and in their mind as unto you and to your glory. Those that are traveling, we got some coming home today. God, watch over them and deliver them safely to their destination. I thank you accident or incident will not uh, cross their path. And Lord, any that are weak in their body or infirm, I thank you, Lord, that you strengthen them. Rise them up from that bed of affliction and restore them to full health and strength. We thank you for all that you do for us, all that we have in Christ Jesus. There's so much, so much. We, we could spend forever just talking about your goodness, and there's so much more. And we thank you. And Lord, help us to remember this week the exhortation where you address us as your children. That identity has come from you. We didn't have to convince you. You gave it to us. And we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.